morning, church. I can't speak for all of us, but this week has been bonkers. <laughs> there are seasons of calm waters, and then there are seasons like these. Um, so I'm not sure about where you're at or what's going on in your world, but what I do know is that together today we can look to God for direction. Uh, last week, we started a sermon series where we were tracing Mark's story of Jesus. Our focus right now is on the first eight chapters, uh, the first eight chapters where we're really going to get a glimpse of the power and the power of my voice right now in the house. I'm just hearing the, anyways, um, the power of God's kingdom, a power that is reinterpreting the rules, creating conflict, building a new community, and demonstrating a profound love. God is set loose in the world. I truly believe that this is the perfect time for us to hear from this story. With all of the competing narratives that are going on in our world, all of, these, all of this misinformation and information going this way and that, um, even questions around the nature, the role, the purpose of the church, in all of this, we turn our attention to Jesus who reveals something new. Jesus, we give you our attention. So last week, the stage was set. The stage was set where Israel had come to a crossroads. All of this had been building to this moment. The world was aching and longing for something, for God to step in. There was this sense that nothing would change until God acted. And that might be the crossroads that you're at in your life too. Nothing's going to change unless God acts. Last week, we saw this grand moment where the barrier between heaven and earth was torn apart and the Spirit came down. And here we hear the declaration to Jesus that this is the beloved Son in whom God is well pleased. And I mentioned briefly that this was a bookend of sorts where we have this torn open environment that heaven and earth has been torn and God's presence has come into the world. And then at the end of this book, we have another event where the curtain is torn and the same kind of picture has taken place. And between these two bookends, we have a picture. Mark is painting a big narrative of what Jesus is up to, how God's reign is coming into this world. If this is what happened, this is how it is happening. And so we have these events People have been hearing rumors. People have been hearing words. And there's been um, this John the Baptist, this crazy guy, and people are being stirred up. There's this quiet, steady groundswell mixed with a bit of anxiety, a bit of rebellion. The Romans are getting nervous. Uh, the Herodians are getting concerned. People are beginning to step in and act. And then they clamp down. John's prophetic voice has been silenced, he's been imprisoned. And on a day, kind of like any other day, no one's really noticing, on that day, Jesus comes out of the wilderness, having won against trial and temptation. The scene is set. And this is where we pick up the story today. I have a question, though, for us. 
If you were tasked, if it was your job to write a memoir of a great leader, a world changer, a person whose words are still echoing throughout the world, what would you say? How would you start? If, if, a, if my mom were to write a memoir of me, or my child, anyways, what would they say about me? These are interesting questions that a writer has to work through. Um, you can only have one introduction, right? You can't really have two first impressions. How many times have you wished to have been able to have a do-over with a first impression? Maybe it's a boss, or maybe it's a work environment, maybe it's someone you're interested in. Who knows? But that first stumbled word, or the, the hair that is not right, or the fly that is down, or the whatever the situation, and you long to be able to do it over. You long for that second first impression. And so a writer knows this. You can only start once. You can only have Jesus say words for the first time once. So Mark, he makes a choice. Mark, like all of the gospel writers, has intention and purpose behind their story. And so this is how Jesus begins. He says this, The time has come. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe in the good news. The time, the moment, the moment, this moment where God's rule and His reign it's both happening, beginning now, and is also continuing, something we look forward to. Now, to the first century Jewish audience, right, to this first century Jewish audience who knows the story of Israel, a man enters with this kind of declaration, this is a big deal. This is earth-shattering. This is mind-blowing. This is what they've all been anticipating and waiting for. Now, imagine if you are watching a marathon, and one of those epic marathons, like it's a marathon times three, and you, it starts, and then they, it, it's all exciting, and then they just settle into this pace, and you're like, all right, what, uh, can I come back? I'm going to go start my, you, you leave, you grab a meal, you come back, they're still on this really slow, steady pace, it's not very exciting right now, and then eventually you just get bored, and you even start to forget that you were watching this long, long marathon. But it's on the radio, and then eventually you hear, and they're coming around the corner, and you're like, wait, it's almost done? I almost missed it? They, you go running, you turn on the TV or you watch, and there, there's these people who have been putting in effort for hours, are finally rushing to the end and stumbling across the line. The people of God have been waiting. They settled in. They started to give up. They started to stop noticing that God had started something and was continuing on. And then all of a sudden, Jesus says, the kingdom of God is just around the corner. Here we are. We're in this moment, in this final moment, and people take notice. People are exciting, excited. The kingdom isn't just something over there, around the corner. It's not that mirage that the closer you get to it, the further it continues to be. The way it's written is it's written as if it's right here and right now, and yet still to come. But Jesus doesn't stop at the announcement, right? He doesn't just stop and say these things. It comes with an invitation. It comes with this massive and heavy, this huge ask. And if we're honest, um, this is a huge challenge for us too. This is a huge challenge for all of us. 
the challenge is, really? Like, you make this announcement, who are you again? And now I'm supposed to turn my life upside down, change everything? Let's put on a lens of suspicion just for a moment here. Jesus, this is a bold ask. Change everything? Why? Because you said so? Um, this is the 21st century, um, and if this world in the past 20 years has taught us anything, it's we should be suspicious of people who stand up here and say words. So why should we be listening to you right now? <laughs> why should we be listening to Trent? That's okay. We can work on that. But that's the, that's the case. We find ourselves here. We live in an era where we don't take leaders at face value, and for good reason. We're suspicious. We wonder, what's the angle? What's the motive? What's the ulterior agenda going on in this? So we're, we're naturally suspicious. And anyone who says, I have the news. This is the news you need to listen to. It's one thing to hear that. It's another for them to say, now that you are hearing this news, uh, you need to completely change your life. You need to upend everything. Just blindly rewrite who you are, what you do, just because you came out of a wilderness experience, this isn't enough. Just because some crazy prophet turned prisoner is declaring that you're the guy isn't enough. Not to mention that he's also your cousin, which is kind of like, are you paying him to say this? So we have this in our modern era, attention when we come to a statement right up at the front when Mark comes out of the gate and he says, the kingdom of God is here. Repent. Believe the good news. This is a challenge for us. We have real concerns. We have real doubts. We have real barriers. And so I hope that in, in this challenge and in this problem, we, we get a picture of, okay, we have this son of, of God, but we actually are the only ones who know this, right? The people of God haven't been given this information yet. They just have a man who stands forward and begins to declare. He's from an insignificant town. He's, he's a, a tradesman's son. Who, who is this that he would have the authority and the audacity to say the things that he says? Who is this guy? And what is the nature of this kingdom? Is it, is it actually good? Is it actually good enough for me to change my life and follow? Um, tomorrow is the election, as, which, as was mentioned. And uh, the one thing I know about all parties, this is what everybody has in common. Right now, pre-election, they are saying all sorts of things. Um, and we all know that it's, they're, they're, it's never going to turn into true and full action. These campaign promises, they sound nice, but we all take them with a measure of suspicion. Because as soon as they're in office, it's, oh, uh, oh, we didn't realize that the debt actually was like this, or it's complicated, or, you know, we've struck a committee to talk about how we can evaluate the promises that we said we would give. We'll get back to you in four years. You know, now that's not an excuse for us to give up on our system. You know, it's good to be Canadian and it's good to be a participant. However... It's exhausting. We need more than words. We're hungry for more than just speeches and things being said. And this world, if we're honest, when, we, when the world looks at the church in general, 
It's also tired of the church just talking, saying things, saying things on behalf of Jesus, making promises but not acting, making it really complicated to just see Jesus for who He is. Something that we as a church always have to strive to improve on. And this is what I love about the Gospel of Mark. Yes, he starts with this statement, right? Jesus enters the scene and he just says it as it is. Mark's readers are left with no room to misunderstand. There's no backstory to distract us. Jesus is coming in loud and bold and crystal clear. And Mark starts kind of where he wants us to end up. That at the end of hearing and seeing and experiencing experiencing the, this new kingdom, which was revealed through Jesus, that at the end of all of it, we then respond to the invitation to turn away from the old way of living, from that self-focused and disobedient path. We make that 180. We put our trust in Jesus. Um, that, that we see that, that there's this beginning, but it's actually the end. And you don't have to follow in that path just because I say so. We get to allow Jesus to show us. So if you're suspicious of promises that leaders make, this is the good news in this story. Instantly, Jesus moves from words to actions. He begins to live out the kingdom. He backs everything up with action. And what we all come to discover as we follow through this entire gospel is that the good news of the kingdom of God is dynamically paired with word and deed. There is no difference from the speech and the words Jesus says and the things he does. They are one in the same. When he says freedom, there is freedom. When he says hope, there is hope. And we begin to see this through his story and through this gospel. And that is such good news for us today that when we hear the words they're not just words he follows them instantly with actions and as we'll see sometimes he doesn't even have the words he just acts and shows the kingdom now we could spend forever we could spend a sermon on every single point through this rest of chapter one so where we're headed today is basically finishing off chapter one And there are story after story where we could just dive deep and really enjoy it. But what I'm going to do is do a flyover to give us a snapshot of what is going on. This first kind of 24-hour period, if you will. This first picture of who Jesus is and what he's declaring about the kingdom of God. And then we're going to dive a little bit deeper at the very end into the final story. A story that I believe... um, will be good and right for some of us to hear. So, right off at the very beginning, um, and if you do have your Bibles with you, feel free to follow along. We're just going to walk through the rest of this chapter. Um, Right at the very beginning, after he says the time has come and the kingdom of God has come near, repent and believe the good news, Jesus calls his first disciples. All right? And so this very first thing he does, um, the very first action that we see of the kingdom is inviting the unqualified. That's what we see taking place here. Jesus starts teaching, and that's good. Um, He starts, he speaks, he jumps in, and then he goes for a walk, right? He goes walking down 
to the docks. He goes down to the, down to the water's edge, and he sees fishermen, and he recruits them. Now, I used to do recruitment for Ambrose University, um, and there were locations that I was sent where I'd look around, I'd make a quick assessment of the people and the interactions, and then I'd think to myself, I don't even know if I could convince one of these people to take a pamphlet to turn into a paper airplane here. This is, this is not the environment for me to be doing recruitment. Jesus goes straight to the docks, to fishermen. Imagine Peter's resume for a moment. I fish. I sometimes get in fights. I didn't do good in school, period. Honestly, right, when we review and when we kind of take a look at, these are regular people who didn't make it all the way through school. This is not the cream of the crop. Now, normally, right, if you wanted to be a disciple, you would work hard, you would study, you would make a perfect resume, and then you would find a rabbi, and you would pursue that rabbi. You would follow the rabbi. You would hang out near him. You would walk beside him. You'd walk in the dust of his feet and would just hope and wait that at some moment he might notice you and say, yeah, all right, you can, you can hang around. You can stay with me. And then you'd be like, yes, I made it. And it was a huge cultural victory. This was what every parent prayed for in their kids, that they would be chosen by a rabbi. Jesus goes down to the, to the docks where nobody's planning, nobody's looking or expecting to have, they've given up on that dream long ago. And Jesus sees them and picks them. He calls out them, who they are, the unqualified. And he says, come follow me and I am giving you new purpose. Jesus looks past the resumes, and he calls Andrew, Simon, James, and John to come join him. That's the very first picture we get of this kingdom in action, that it's inviting the unqualified. And then we move on in the story. We have freeing the oppressed. Jesus now that he's got his small entourage, they head out, they're into Capernaum, and then on the, the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach. And the people were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. And then we have this event. Just then, a man in their synagogue who was possessed by an impure spirit cries out, what do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Now, we could do an entire sermon just on that declaration, but we won't. And then Jesus, with power and authority, there's an exclamation mark in this text saying, be quiet. Jesus says sternly, come out of him. And the impure spirit shook the man violently, and it comes out of him with a shriek. We don't know the backstory of this man. We don't know his story. We don't know what led him into this situation. But can you hear the intensity in Jesus? His focus, right? We don't know if this man deserved to have this impure spirit, whatever that even might mean. We don't know what this situation was. What we do know 
is that Jesus sees the trauma, he sees the problem, he hates the torment, and he instantly speaks against it and casts out the demon. And everybody is in shock that he would not just have words of authority, but they would be backed with this kind of power. Jesus is instantly declaring to all of us that this is a kingdom that is freeing the oppressed. Jesus has the authority to bind up the evil one and release this man from the imprisonment of evil. Let's continue on. Number three, healing the unwell. We have this picture. After this event, Jesus goes with the disciples into Simon Peter's uh, mother-in-law's bedroom, and she is not well. She is sick with a fever, and he gently, the contrast is beautiful, he gently takes her hand, helps her up, and the fever is gone. Without a single word, without a yell, without a declaration, Jesus is enacting healing in this woman. And she gets up, and what does she do? She begins to participate in what's going on. She is able to host and fulfill that longing that most uh, mothers would have had at that time to be able to host in their home, and she is able to do that. Jesus doesn't just free us from something. He frees us so that we can enter into contribution, where we can participate in the kingdom. And we see a glimpse of that in this next story. And then it moves on, and, we, and it mentions that after sunset, a bunch of people lined up and started getting healing and exorcisms from Jesus. Now, just a small little aside, Sabbath has now ended. And there was a cultural belief, a cultural expectation that you did not do work on the Sabbath, which included healing people. So people had waited back. They're waiting. They're hearing the story of what happened in the synagogue, and they're waiting. And then night comes. They're like, okay, the day is done. Let's line up. And they all line up, and Jesus is just healing them late into the night. And this man, who's clearly exhausted, tired from a long day, wakes up early because following the Father is so important to him. In the midst of all of this action and doing and power and authority and casting out demons, Jesus, in the midst of all of that, reminds us and reminds all the readers that part of the kingdom is following the Father. Jesus is representing God to the world. And it also reveals that the kingdom of God, is, it doesn't follow preconceived rules of engagement or rules of marketing right? He pulls back, and, and then the disciples come looking, being like, there's a crowd. We're ready to go. Let's do this thing. Like, day two, here we go. And he's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. It's not just about building up an empire here. It's not a kingdom here. Everybody needs to hear this. It's not just some formula. The spirit that is at work in the world is free. And that's something that's important. It's important for me to know this, this is not, I can't just say, I do this, I do this, I do this, and then God performs this. That's not how this works. Jesus is reminding us that there is an intimate relationship with God and that there's an unpredictability to all of this, that following after the kingdom of God doesn't, isn't a perfect straight line. There's a bit of a rewrite, a course correction. And so we have following the Father, and then we have restoring the outcast. 
A man with leprosy came to him and begged him on his knees, if you are willing, you can make me clean. We don't really know this man's story either, but we do know something of the customs and the practices of Jesus' time to be able to just at least imagine. And imagine with me that here is a man, he's got a kid, he's doing his everyday life, and then he just he notices a small patch on his arm, and he's like, you know what, I probably scratched myself, no big deal, moving on. And then that patch doesn't change. It starts to grow. He starts to hide it. He starts to become a little bit standoffish to the kids that he used to pick up, and then he used to be confident in his community, and now he's a little bit more tentative. And then one day, his wife sees it, and he can't, he can't pretend anymore. And the shame and the, the fear and the uncertainty washes over him because he knows what he has to do. And he turns to his wife and he's like, I, I, I think I need to go to the temple and show the priest what I have. And they embrace and he knows that this is probably the last time he's ever going to be touched by his wife or by a human. And so he goes on his, he goes off to to the temple, he shows the priest, the priest does the ritual, makes the profession, gives him a bell, makes him have this presence where forever and for all time, for the rest of his life, anywhere and in every situation he goes, he's declaring to the world with a bell and with a cry, I'm unclean, I'm unclean, don't come close to me. And people are afraid, they back away, they cover their mouths, there's uncertainty, there's anger, there's fear. And he lives in this place where it's getting worse and worse and it's growing and spreading and it's consuming his life. There's no one he can turn to, no one he can talk to, no one who understands, no one who has time for him, and it's getting harder and harder. He's forced to live outside of town. He doesn't have any other options. The blisters turn to wounds, and what scares him most is he doesn't even, they don't even hurt anymore. He doesn't even know when he gets hurt. And for years, untouched, untouchable, hated just because of something on his skin. And he thinks to himself, what did I do to deserve this? And he wishes and longs, but there's, there is no hope. There is no change. There is no cure. There's no, it, all there is is to make sure he doesn't infect other people. So he backs away, and then he hears this news, right? He hears this news of a man who's doing wonders, who's doing things powerful in his community, a man who is doing miracles, and he thinks to himself, maybe, just maybe, if I I somehow got close to him, something might happen. And so as the disciples and Jesus are walking along the way, this leper sees them and cries out, cries out, please, it doesn't just cry out, say, keep your distance, stay away from me. He cries out, if you are willing, make me clean a desperate hope from a desperate man who has no other option, and he just tries and hopes. And I love it. Jesus was indignant. Some translations say that he was compassionate. Others say that he was angry. An interesting way to understand it is, we actually aren't quite sure, but it was that as if he was angry or had this fierce compassion. 
Not anger towards the man, but anger that this would exist in his world, that a person would not only be afflicted with pain and physical suffering, but because of it would be socially isolated, disconnected, and removed from community. And in this fierce compassion, he hates this disease, he hates this exclusion, and he reaches out his hand, the same hand that held a sick mom and lifted her up out of her bed. He grabs a man he's not supposed to touch, and he says, I am willing, be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him, and he was cleansed. Jesus not only healed him physically, but restores him to community, restoring the outcast. These are beautiful, quick stories that happen all in one, basically in a couple of days. We have this massive picture that Jesus is creating a new kingdom that's redefining God's reign, a kingdom where God does the inviting. He invites the unqualified. He invites the disqualified. God removes the barriers. He has the authority to push back sin, darkness, brokenness, disconnection. And it's all being done through this person, Jesus, who's inviting people to come and follow him, to walk in his ways. Uh, Kent Brower says it like this, this is a reordering of life and direction away from the self-centered or self-absorbed direction towards the good news of God's big purposes. This call is answered both corporately and individually. So how do we respond today? How do we take steps? How do we act after hearing this? Maybe the first is we reevaluate our assumptions about what God is up to in the world. We choose to be open to this radical, hard-to-believe, hope-filled story. Second, Jesus goes on the offensive, right? Did you kind of catch that? He announces it, and then he just goes. He enters into all of these environments. Jesus goes on the offensive, invading the kingdom of darkness, And maybe we who are followers of Jesus need to go on the offensive too. We need to enter into this world with compassion and love and care to represent the kingdom of God to others. The third option is we can participate in communion, which we're going to do here in a moment. And then third, yes, keep coming. Come next week. Let us hear the story as it continues to unfold. Because Jesus enters the scene with power and authority, but we quickly discover that there's resistance, that there's conflict, that there's tension. The plot thickens um, as we continue on in the story. I'm going to pray quickly. Uh, Pastor Brian's going to come up and lead us in communion. Gracious Lord, we are so thankful for this story. And Lord, it's easy for us to have suspicion towards leaders. That's kind of part of what it's like to be in this world today. But Lord, you declare something and then you show it. You back up every single word with with action and I'm so thankful for that. I'm thankful that we have this story that we can trace your life and that we can be convicted to follow after you. Lord, thank you for your kingdom. We love and adore you. Amen. I'm going to invite the worship team to come. I think they're going to send us out.
with a, a closing song. And today I hope that uh, you've gotten the elements, the, the bread and the cup. Uh, they're back there on a little table if you missed that. Thanks, Trent, for that message today. And um, when we celebrate the Lord's Supper, it is a reminder to us that Jesus came uh, into a world that was broken. We are broken. He came for people who were oppressed, in bondage, people that were beset with illness, with situations that they couldn't control, and there's just a lot of pain, and he came. And Trent just reminded us of that. As we read about in Mark chapter 1, God didn't just throw a lifeline. He sent his son. And Jesus got down into the muck and the mire with us. And so that's what we're celebrating today. That's what we're observing. Jesus knew when he went about doing these works of power that he was going to go to the cross. And he was going to, his body would be broken. He would experience our brokenness. That his blood would be shed for us, for our sins, for our brokenness. And so as we partake of these elements today, let's do it with thanksgiving. And let's remember that when we take the bread and the cup, we also receive Christ. The body of our Lord Jesus Christ broken for you. Take and eat in remembrance that Christ died for you. The blood of our Lord Jesus Christ, the blood of the new covenant, shed on the cross, take and drink in remembrance that Christ died for you. Father, thank you for this time that we could share in the body and the blood of Christ that we can remember that you, Father, sent your Son to the cross for us so that we, as your people, Lord, could celebrate this remembrance and be thankful. In Jesus' name, amen.